Recruiting providers to rural communities can be tough. With a limited supply of physicians and a high need for them, advanced practice providers like nurse practitioners play a critical role in filling that gap. So, how do rural hospitals and healthcare organizations ensure that their communities have access to the care they need? With talent development, support for new providers, and a commitment to innovative care models. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm J.J. Hodshire. And this is Rural Health Rising. Welcome to Episode 61 of Rural Health Rising. I'm J.J. Hodshire, President and Chief Executive Officer of Hillsdale Hospital. And I'm Rachel Lott, Director of Marketing and Development. Rachel, we have talked quite a bit about the provider recruitment challenges here in rural America and even had an entire episode on developing a talent pipeline for nurse practitioners and local registered nurses. But today, we're talking about the bigger picture and the role nurse practitioners play in our total continuum of care. That's right. And today we're talking with someone who is an advocate for nurse practitioners across the United States. That's right. Our guest today is April Kapu, president of the American Association of Nurse Practitioners. Welcome to Rural Health Rising April. Thank you. It's great to be here today. So to start, April, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and your work at the American Association of Nurse Practitioners? Yes, well, I am I, I am a nurse. I was originally a critical care nurse, and then I went back to get advanced nursing education training and was board certified to be a, an acute care nurse practitioner. So I went back to working in critical care, um, but as a nurse practitioner, I did that for several years. Um, and then the hospital that I worked at um, built out a critical care tower. So it doubled the number of ICU beds that we oh, had wow. in all of our ICUs. So I was able to move into a leadership position and uh, help build nurse practitioners on all of our ICU teams. So that's kind of started my leadership journey. I went back and got a doctorate in nursing practice. And all the while, I stayed very engaged in my professional association, which was the American Association of Nurse Practitioners. Uh, I really learned a lot through education, advocacy. We spent a lot of time networking, working on research projects together. But I also had the opportunity to run for an elected office as state representative for AANP for Tennessee. And oh, wow. then I went on to uh, run for region director for our region and then served on the board of directors for a few years and then ran for president and have absolutely enjoyed being president. I started my presidency in July of last year and uh, it's just been a whirlwind. It has been so much fun being able to meet nurse practitioners and see what they're doing in all settings um, across the United States. It has just been an absolute joy. Well, a couple observations. Number one, I, I did have a chance to review a lot of the work that you've done at uh, the Association of Nurse Practitioners. I'm going to tell you, uh, you've really advanced uh, your organization, and I want to commend you for that. Uh, the awareness uh, out front, uh, it's very important because, as Rachel will probably agree with, and hopefully our doctors aren't listening, nurse practitioners <laughs> are among our most favorite providers here at Hillsdale Hospital. And That's good to hear. They, they do <laughs> earmuffs, a phen- doctors, yes, earmuffs. earmuffs. They do a phenomenal job, and we'll talk a little bit more today about that. But, you know, we want to start with the why. Um, so now that we've established who you are and what you do, you know, let's start there with the why. We do this on every episode, so we get to know our guests just a little bit better. So I'm going to ask you a question, April. What is your why? What motivates you and what gets you up out of bed in the morning? 
Well, I'd say my why has changed a bit through the years. I think as a young uh, girl growing up, my mom uh, worked in nursing homes and she'd oft- often take me along with her. And I would watch and I, uh, as I got older, I would help her. And at that time, I got very interested in patients and talking to patients and spending time with patients and um, just getting to know them better. And uh, that really helped me shape my future and in going into nursing because I really like uh, spending time with patients and families and in particular in the ICU. Many people haven't been in an ICU, fortunately, but those that have, it can be a pretty scary place. And so being able to speak with patients and families and help them better understand what's happening, kind of where their trajectory is going there, what all these therapies are for, is really important um, to alleviate uh, some of the anxiety and fear that can come with that experience. But now as my career has progressed, I have really, as you, as I just shared, gotten very, very engaged in supporting nurse practitioners. And mm-hmm. I have met so many phenomenal nurse practitioners across all settings. And whatever mm-hmm. I can do every single day to get up and support them so that they can do the good work that they do, I'm all for it. That's what brings me joy in my career. And isn't it amazing the special and, and the niches now that nurse practitioners can get into? I mean, geriatrics, um, OB, you know, and just mm-hmm. a tremendous amount. Now we're looking at bringing in nurse practitioners to our hospitalist program for inpatient hospitalist care. Uh, that's a great model that we have here at Hillsdale. And then, believe it or not, in rural communities like Hillsdale, the majority of our providers in our clinics are, in fact, nurse practitioners. So it is great, really, to have you on the program today and to learn a little bit more about some of the advocacy work that you're doing. Nurse practitioners play an important role in the patient care, and for many patients, their primary care provider is, just as I explained, a nurse practitioner. Um, So what is a nurse practitioner? Let's start with the basics. And how is it different from other nursing roles? And how is it different from other advanced practice providers, you know, such as PAs or physician's assistants? I think that's a great question, and I, and I, I have to share a little bit of the history of the nurse practitioner. So yes. going back to the 1960s, uh, Loretta Ford, she was a pediatric nurse, and she and a pediatrician, Henry Silver, lived in rural Colorado. And at that time, they were experiencing huge access needs. Go figure. I mean, hmm. there was a public health crisis very similar to what we're experiencing today. And at that time, they began to talk about, can we train nurses to fill this space? And that's when we began to see the evolution or the beginnings of the nurse practitioner profession to where we are today, where we have national standards for education, training, national board certification, so that we can meet those needs that are out there is you you know all too well there's over 91 million Americans that lack access to primary care so we have a great need and we see nurse practitioners are continuing to grow we're estimated to grow at over a 45% every year um, currently according to the US News and World Report we're the number t- number 1 healthcare um, job we are growing Absolutely. rapidly And so that's really because we are stepping up and meeting those needs that are Mm -hmm. there. Um, And so that's why you see so many nurse practitioners going into different settings, different types of 
programs so that they can truly step up and meet the need. Now, what's the difference in all of the different roles? Well, it's called an advanced practice registered nurse, and there's four different categories. There's the nurse practitioner. There's the certified registered nurse anesthetist. There is the certified nurse midwife, and there's a clinical nurse specialist. So as you probably know, a nurse anesthetist and a nurse practitioner, very different types of work, but they're still advanced practice nurses. Physician assistants or physician associates now is the proper nomenclature. They are very similar, except they they have some overlap in the types of services they provide, but their education and training is much more built on a medical model, whereas an advanced practice registered nurse is really advanced nursing education built really on the philosophy of nursing. I thought that was really interesting the way you described that as the, you know, the nurse practitioner is built more on the nursing model, whereas the physician associate or physician assistant is built more on the kind of physician or medical side of things. I've never heard that differentiation between the two. And, you know, in my mind as a non-clinical person Mm -hmm. in the healthcare industry, I just think of, you know, advanced practice providers are all providing uh, a level of of medical care different from, you know, a nurse or um, something like that. But that was a a great differentiation that makes so much sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And speaking of nurse practitioners in particular, so recently, um, and maybe over the last couple of years, several states have expanded the role of nurse practitioners. So what what changes have been made and what makes those changes significant and important, not just for the nurse practitioners in their careers, but also for the patients they're serving? So this, you know, as I just described the evolution to where we are today in terms of national standards for education, training, and board certification, the actual licensure of a nurse practitioner is regulated by the state. So despite the fact that we have national standards of accredited education, we still have licensure being regulated by the state. In 26 states and D.C., we have what's called full practice authority, and that's essentially the licensure authority to practice to the full extent of your education and training. So to be able to practice to what you're educated to do. And I mentioned the evolution because many of the states that don't have full practice authority, their laws are outdated. So their laws were Mm. put into place years and years and years ago. They need to be updated so that we can practice to the full extent of our education and training. And what does that mean? We diagnose We prescribe pharmacologic and non-pharmacologic therapies Mm -hmm. where we manage care. We, we, um, you know, we check labs, we order labs, diagnostics, we interpret those. We're very good coordinators of care. So if you've been to see a nurse practitioner, you have many nurse practitioners working in your hospital system, you know, that's one thing that we do really well is we coordinate care with all members of the healthcare team. So Mm -hmm. patients have access to all of their needs. So that's just a little bit of a, um, a little bit of a, as we're moving these states towards full practice authority, it's really updating uh, the laws so we can practice to the full extent. Now, what does that mean to the patient? What does that mean for, for hospitals and clinics and health systems? That means greater access to care. That also means patient choice that they can choose to see a nurse practitioner as a provider. And then what's really important, I think, overall to healthcare in general, is it also has a huge impact on cost. So it's Mm -hmm. access, Mm -hmm. it's choice, and it's 
cost effectiveness in terms of the overall healthcare system. A great example, I'm thinking about your hospitals. If nurse practitioners are providing care in the communities and where patients are, regular care, what happens? We have a reduction of patients going to the ED in crisis Mm -hmm. because they've had regular care. Absolutely. Excellent point. So let's get to the heart of our podcast. It's all about rule. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, so so how, let's talk about you know the role of nurse practitioners and how it's different in rural communities than it is in urban or suburban communities. Can you explain that to us just a little bit? Because there's two different practices. Well, I think that's really interesting. If you really get into the the the, the deep understanding of nurse practitioners, there are different types of nurse practitioners. So, for instance. I am educated and trained as an acute care nurse practitioner. I take care of patients who are acutely ill. That's largely in the hospital, like your hospitalist or your critical Mm -hmm. care NPs. But there are also nurse practitioners, which 90% of our nurse practitioners in the country today, when I didn't mention we're up to over 355,000 nurse practitioners in the country today. It's incredible. Um, But 90% of them are educated and trained in primary care because Mm. that is where there's such a huge need. And so those practitioners that are educated and trained in primary care will be the ones that you'll see working in the clinics, in the community, the ambulatory clinics, in urban areas, in community centers, in, in schools, in um, occupational health clinics and in rural areas, rural clinics. So every nurse practitioner goes through a particular educational track and ultimately passes a national board certification with that patient population. So there's a little bit of a difference in our education and training that really has an impact on where we practice. Mm -hmm. You know, so, and I've said this before, I think that our uh, nurse practitioners and our what we what we affectionately call the APPs, uh, mm-hmm. advanced practice providers, are really going to save healthcare with you know the number of physicians uh, that are leaving the industry that we saw. And, and Rachel will talk a little bit about COVID. You know that we saw an outmigration of providers, uh, a lot of resignations, and a lot of retirements that were either early or scheduled and planned. You know we did not see that same surge of physicians applying for school and seeing a lot of physicians come out of schools. And when they do, rarely do they want to come to rural America. Mm-hmm. It's often very difficult for us. So what we've experienced here in rural America is a lot of nurse practitioners, what we call, quote unquote, hanging their shingle uh, solely as uh, independent. They don't affiliate with a hospital, but they, you know, they give us ancillaries and those type of things. They have a collaborating physician, but they really just practice independently. And that model, you know, is really what's going to save, in my opinion, rural healthcare because, you know, we are not attracting the physicians that we once attracted, let's say even two decades ago, even a decade ago. And we're finding that very difficult, but through growing our own, as we call it, Mm -hmm. sending individuals and paying for them to become nurse practitioners as we have. We just did that recently. And on one of our episodes, we interviewed Sarah Butler, who we uh, placed through nurse practitioner school for a focus in behavioral health. And really those things, in my opinion, Rachel, I think you would agree is really Mm -hmm. what's going to save healthcare. I think so. And, you know, it's funny as we're sitting here talking, I'm thinking back on my own life and my own healthcare experiences. And I think probably 50-50 
has my provider in my life, have I been, you know, seeing a provider that's a nurse practitioner versus a physician? And in fact, you know what else I realized, JJ? Here in Hillsdale, the providers I have seen in Hillsdale are our nurse practitioners, Absolutely. Rihanna and Rachel. They're Absolutely. the two that I, I have yes. seen. So, you know, obviously, and actually my son, um, I take him to most often the nurse practitioner at his pediatrician's office because, like you said, access, her schedule's a little more open and more available um, than his pediatrician. Yeah. And then I realized my mom used to take me to the nurse practitioner at the pediatrician's office Yeah, Yeah. when I was a kid. So I would see the pediatrician sometimes too, but I remember quite often we were seeing the nurse practitioner. Um, So it's just funny. I'm thinking back and realizing, oh, I think it's maybe half and half um, over the course of of my own life. But I agree with you. I think advanced practice providers, particularly in rural America— are going to be the ones who are able to fill that gap. And when we talk about the recruitment challenges with physicians, you know, we we had an episode, I'd have to go back and look at the number, I should have done that. But we had an episode um, where we really talked about specifically um, a program that looks to rural communities, finds RNs in those communities, encourages and supports yep. them to go through school as a nurse practitioner with paid expense, paid tuition. I think yes. they get an iPad they and, get you know, a, a lot yeah. of telehealth training. Yeah. Um, but it truly is going into rural communities, finding the nurses who are already committed to those communities and growing them into right. nurse practitioners right. to take care of patients at an even higher level where they're already doing that. And, um, and I also want to interject something here, Rachel, mm-hmm. because we have been able to do that in that program, specifically when we interviewed her, you know, talked about the opportunities, the synergies that can exist. And we know that, mm-hmm. but I'm going to tell you and, you, and you may not remember this because it was pre your time here, but April, it was not easy convincing our community to make the transition. Now you say, what? Because we still had a mindset in a small rural community that I want to see a doctor with a D or O, and they, right. they want that. Was this an MD or a DO? What do you mean? It's a nurse what? And it became, it was very difficult, but we engaged the community. We, we spread a tremendous amount of goodwill, having these nurse practitioners and even PAs to a certain extent go and speak at Rotary, Kiwanis Clubs. I guess my question to you is, is you know, maybe you've lived through that stage. Maybe you're past it. Um, but, you know, what does your association do to, to help foster that awareness in rural America where we really sometimes don't see that level? You know, you have the one country doc who travels, and that still exists in a lot of rural places. And then they hear about this, nurse what? Are you experiencing mm-hmm. some of that? And what is your association doing to assist in that education? Well, everything you just described is very similar to how I talked about how we got started back in the 1960s. And that was really to begin to fill those needs. As we saw mm-hmm. the physician workforce going down, we see the nurses stepping up and going for the advanced education and training mm-hmm. to provide that care. And that's and really, when we're talking about rural areas, that's that's on tribal reservations. That's in communities that would normally people that live there would have to drive hours and hours to get to a clinic to access health care. And we're seeing more nurse practitioners move there. I want to just make a point about the full practice authority in those 26 states that moved to full practice authority where nurse practitioners can now practice the full extent of their education and training. We are seeing in those states workforce going up. So the numbers going up and more nurse practitioners moving to rural areas to practice. So you may ask, well, why can't they do that in the states that are not full practice authority? 
because there are restrictions in place and barriers in place. And some of those are, are those um, collaborative contracts, exclusive contracts. Oftentimes, um, a, a patient may come in and they might think that there's a physician in the back room that the nurse practitioner is going back and convert. That's not the case. The nurse right. practitioner is providing that care, that assessment, that diagnosis, that plan, everything they were educated and trained to do. And they do very well because yes. our patient care outcomes are, are stellar. And, and you all have voice that you've gone to CNPs as well. So you're familiar with that care. But what right. we do do, and part of our training, is we co- we coordinate the care. So if we do need to reach out to a specialist, to a physician that may be an expert in, in cardiology, or we may think that this person needs a surgical consult, we are coordinating that care already. That's part of our education and training. But to pay or to have a financial agreement with a collaborative a contract, mm-hmm. um, to, maybe you have where they a patient has to see a physician, you might have duplicative services. Those types of things are barriers and disallow a nurse practitioner from being able to work in a rural setting. Right. I can give right. you an example in, in Tennessee of a nurse practitioner that worked in a community she grew up in, was nurse for many years, nurse practitioner for many years, had a great uh, um, relationship, collaborative relationship with a physician that um, was nearby in a nearby County that was willing to have a contract with her and, and reviewed retrospectively her charts every month and she paid for that. Well, that physician retired and she had to find another physician that would sign that contract and retrospectively review those charts for a fee. It was very difficult to the point she had to close mm-hmm. her practice. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Close the practice in that community until Sad. they could find somebody willing. To, to sign that wow. contract. So those are the types of barriers we're talking about. Agree. Yeah. So JJ, earlier you mentioned that, you know, the attitude kind of used to be uh, a nurse practitioner. What? I want to see a doctor. Now in Hillsdale, <laughs> if you ask someone, oh, who's your doctor? They'll say Rihanna, oh, yes. who was a nurse practitioner at, right. at one of our clinics or Rachel Absolutely. or, you know, yeah. the um, the understanding now, the line is almost more blurred in a way, right? Because which, you know, we want patients to see their nurse practitioner, if that's their primary care provider, to see them as their primary care provider. They may not be technically using the language that we use of advanced yeah. practice provider it's versus true. physician. Very true. Um, but Excellent to have point. that kind of relationship, yeah. I think, is really important. And it shows, you know, that turnaround that's happened here in our community, at least. Agree. Um, but let's get to COVID a little bit, because we can almost <laughs> never do anything these days without talking about COVID in some way. Um, because, you know, for the past two plus years during this pandemic, nurse practitioners have been working, you know, alongside nurses and all the frontline staff and physicians to take care of COVID patients, but also to take care of patients in other areas dealing with the impact that COVID has had on every part of the healthcare system, even outside of the direct COVID patient care. So what um, what have you seen for nurse practitioners? How have nurse practitioners been challenged through this time? Oh, my goodness. Well, from the very beginning of the pandemic, they've been there on the front line. So they've been uh, if you think back to March of 2020, they were out um, putting up testing sites in the communities mm-hmm. in community centers and churches. They were building the drive through models. They were knocking on doors. Um, they were building makeshift EDs. 
they were, uh, I'm in the, in the hospital, in the ICU. So I saw nurse practitioners working 24 seven and then building out new or converting beds to ICU beds and, and staffing that as well. They've been very innovative. Telehealth has just gone through the roof, the ability mm-hmm. to provide more access to care because we have telehealth services now, right. we're familiar with that space, seeing COVID patients in the home. So we've seen over and over, Garrett, nurse practitioners stepping up and quite often they were continuing to hold down their usual practice and they were doing a lot of this um, at nights and on the weekends because there was such a huge need uh, for for all types of healthcare workers to step up, fill those gaps. We had staffing shortages, people out with COVID, family members had COVID. So everybody was stepping up. But from the nurse practitioner standpoint, we saw an incredible amount of commitment, innovation, dedication. But also what I've seen quite a bit as I've been talking to different NPs is that you can only sustain this this energy, this adrenaline, you can only go through a sustained pandemic for so long. You can only be in crisis mode for so long. You really become exhausted physically, mentally with everything happening around COVID and the media and all of that and all the Mm -hmm. science rolling out and waiting for that next therapy and all of those things, but also emotionally uh, being especially seeing patients that this is new and different. And as we saw early in the pandemic, there weren't the treatments. We didn't have vaccinations. We were struggling to get PPE. So Mm -hmm. the emotional exhaustion as well. And so you hear a lot of discussion about mental health and burnout and um, where we're going as overall healthcare in general, not just nurse practitioners, but all types of healthcare workers. Where are we going in terms of support for the mental health of the caregiver after just going through a sustained uh, pandemic. You know, I'm excited to hear your response to my next question. Uh, and, you know, I, I have been uh, obviously engaged in a lot of reading uh, over the course of the last two years because we've had to do that and learning how to retool our business and, and look at new ways of leading in healthcare. But, you know, a lot of the articles that I've stumbled across uh, talk about two distinct uh, entities. Number one, nurses, and the other is nurse practitioners, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, now it's ironic because I have heard in, in red that nurses are in high demand and they're not going to nursing school at the rates that they were even four years ago. I've also heard at the same time that nurses in hospital settings are jumping out of those settings and are joining NP programs to avoid some of that, you know, ER work and those type of things. And what I've heard is that there's going to be an oversaturation of nurse practitioners and not enough nurses. Now, I know that's kind of like a double edged question here for you, because your primary goal is to support nurse practitioners. But before you can have nurse practitioners, you have to have nurses. And so I guess, you know, the the real question that I have for you today is, does your association engage in that process of trying to assist in the recruitment of nursing in general, and then the promotion to NPs? And then what does that forecast look like into the future? Do you see an oversaturation happening very soon? Well, no, because we've just talked about the fact that we have huge, huge 
access to care needs and, and nurse practitioners are filling that, but we're not even touching it yet. We still need more. We need more nurse mm-hmm. practitioners, just like we need more nurses. So three things, we absolutely need more nurses. And we've seen throughout the pandemic, it's been a tremendous strain. So I'll just share some data with you from the American Nurses Foundation, that they have found that 51% of all nurses um, say that they're exhausted, they're overwhelmed. But wow. 81% of the nurses that are less than 34 years old are saying that they're exhausted and overwhelmed. Yeah. Now, those less than 30, that's our next generation of know. nurses. And then the second thing, we have seen an impact to enrollment in the BSN programs. So mm-hmm. our registered nurses, we've seen an impact, not significant, but but we have seen a percentage decrease in overall enrollment. So what are we doing that's not making going being a nurse as attractive anymore? And we need to spend more time supporting education, funding, scholarships, funding for the programs, and attracting more nurses into being a nurse, right? And right. And, and having just gone through the pandemic, that, that's not the most attractive thing right now. And so how do we turn that around? And so being able to show that we are really working hard to create healthy work environments, support nurses, safe staffing, all of those things that will begin to turn it around and and, and be more attractive as a career. But the last thing I want to share is because I um, have done a lot of research in terms of looking at burnout as it relates to advanced practice registered nurses. Mm -hmm. And I published this in 2020. We use several tools to identify which advanced practice nurses identified as being not burned out, um, currently burned out, or formally burned out. And there's a, multiple tools that you use to really bring this out based on their answers in, 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 in this particular study. And what we saw, what we found is that 59% of our participants identified as either being currently burned out or formally burned out. And we learned a lot from them. And that was, we need to destigmatize mental health services. They need to be more readily available. We need healthier work environments. We need policies that protect our nurses. We need to have a voice. We need to be part of that change management of the, of the health system. We need to be heard. And, and we need to be able to practice to the, to the top of our license, as you had said. But the thing that I thought was most profound, and that was from the those that identified as being formerly burned out. So not burned out. What 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 changed, right? Right. And the theme that came up over and over again was they made a change. And so that change wasn't like one type of change. It was all across the spectrum of the different change. Uh-huh. Some of them said. I I joined a social group. I did something different personally. I started at, it was, it could be small, but then it became more of, well, I, now I practice in um, clinical practice three days a week and two days a week. I'm, I'm an educator. I had to break it up a little bit. Some said they moved to a different work in a different area, but they made a change. And so these opportunities for professional growth and development and career advancement are very important for nurses. So if a nurse has an opportunity to be an educator, to be a a nurse manager, an executive nurse leader, be a nurse researcher, to be a nurse practitioner, then that opportunity should be there because we need to keep them engaged in nursing. 
because mm-hmm. we know at some point in their life, they wanted to be a nurse and they found joy in that. And so how do we make sure that there's so many opportunities that they continue to find joy in what they're doing every day? We want a nurse to enjoy what they're doing because if they're happy, they're healthy, they're bringing their very best self to their patients. And that's why they went into being a nurse in the first place. You know what, Rachel? This is what we call fire in the belly. Yes. April, <laughs> I'm going to tell you, I tell you what, you, you can probably charge hell with a squirt gun uh, right now. You know, you're so charged up. <laughs> with a squirt gun, and, okay. And, and, I, and I, think, I think you could go at it and uh, accomplish quite a bit. Your passion is very evident in what you say and what you do. Uh, again, as I shared at the beginning of our podcast, you know, what you've been able to do with the association is incredible. Uh, your leadership is certainly being viewed as transformational. Uh, and I want to commend you for that. I'm, go- you know, also want to give you a charge. I want to encourage you to keep fighting for us in rural America to promote nurse practitioners to come to our areas. I think that's very important. A lot of our colleagues listen to this uh, podcast and they support us, but it is very difficult in recruitment. And, uh, you know, I would just really encourage you to work uh, with us, work with rural communities, as well as working with nursing associations. You know, you had referenced the American Nurses Foundation. I think what you two have to do is hand in hand. Because right. you, know, you got to get the nurses in the front door to eventually get them to where they need to be uh, in your program. So I want to commend you. Obviously, a tremendous amount of respect for the work that you're doing to advance uh, this program in in rural America as well as across America. It's not just rural, but you know, for us, it's special because it is something that's bridging the gap. You know, when we had a recruiter that talked to me about eight years ago. You know, I had just taken over physician recruitment, and I really didn't know a whole lot about it. Uh, and I thought, oh, this is easy. Offer them nice wages. You know, take them to a couple dinners. I could even get some tickets to a sports game. No. Uh, you know, I was I was told it is the most difficult thing to do is to recruit physicians to rural communities because of the dynamics of, you know, families and housing and living and uh, entertainment and theater and all of these things. And so when the recruiter said to me, well, you need for a community your size, 47,000, you need eight more primary care physicians. I'm like, what? How do I recruit eight primary care physicians to Hillsdale County. It's almost impossible. It took us a year to get, you know, our last one and we had to give all these concessions. So what bridged the gap for us was having the nurse practitioner model. So I want to just, you know, for our listeners today, if you're questioning, you know, if this program works, I'm going to tell you it's hugely successful. Uh, It has been beneficial not only through the pandemic, but even pre-pandemic at really serving the needs of our rural poor communities uh, in Hillsdale and across America. So congratulations on the work that you're doing. Uh, We'd like to thank you for joining our program today. This has been very insightful, and we just ask that you continue to keep up the great work. So thank you for joining us today on Rural Health Rising. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to speak with you today. Before we close, we like to do a fun segment with each of our guests. So we want to know what is your most unique rural experience or one of your favorite memories that is unique to rural life. 
Well, I'd love to say going to the nurse practitioner in, in my county was the, was my childhood dream. We didn't have enough nurse practitioners back then. So I would have loved to have had that opportunity, but I thought about it. And, you know, I loved going to the farm with my grandfather when I was young. And I remember one time, this is a funny story. It only takes a second, but <laughs> I, um, I was 12 years old, you know, a uh, young <laughs> a girl, 12 years old. I had actually been gifted from an aunt that actually had, um, was really well to do. She actually gave me a, a present and it was a pair of pantyhose. Do you know pantyhose like nylons, like yeah. in the legs, eggs, but she gave me, and I was so proud because I had never had that. I was, you know, grow, about to go into adolescence. And so I, she said, only wear them when you go to church on Sunday. And I said, well, Okay, but I really didn't. I put them on and I put my jeans on and my boots on and my, <laughs> my, my shirt on and I headed to the farm with my grandpa and I climbed up to the top of the hay bales that were in the, in the, um, in the barn, you know, when they're all stacked up because my favorite thing to do was slide down the hay bales. And so I did that all day long and I learned a lesson. <laughs> You don't wear pantyhose <laughs> and slide down hay bales. <laughs> That's not going to work so well. No, it is not. So you had to tell her that those were ruined, didn't you? I had to you? tell her. I was crushed. <laughs> that is funny. Well, what a rural, unique, and yes. unique experience. Yes. Yeah, that's <laughs> First <awesome>. I've heard. <laughs> right. Well, that's great. Thanks so much again for joining us today. Well, thank you. Have a great day. Next time on Rural Health Rising, we'll have another great conversation with another great guest, so be sure to tune in. And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising. And you can now find us on Twitter. I'm at Hillsdale CEO JJ. Rachel is at Rural Health Rach. And you can also follow the podcast at Rural Health Pod. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong. Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, and a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. Hosted by J.J. Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. For more episodes, interviews, and more information, visit RuralHealthRising.com.